Hi, I'm Billy Glosson, lead pastor of Coram Deo Church in Morganton, North Carolina, and you're listening to the Coram Deo Podcast, a place to engage with sermons, devotionals, prayer, and everything else we're doing at Coram Deo. Thanks for listening. If you're able, would you please stand for the reading of Scripture this morning? Our passage is Jeremiah 9, verses 23 and 24. This is what the Lord says. The wise person should not boast in his wisdom. The strong should not boast in his strength. The wealthy should not boast in his wealth. But the one who boasts should boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord, showing faithful love, justice, and righteousness on the earth, for I delight in these things. This is the Lord's declaration. This morning, we're finishing our summer series that we are calling Summer Mixtape with some amazing guest speakers. And today, our message was brought to us by Russell McCutcheon. He's here today with his beautiful wife, LaToya. They have come in from Reconciliation Church, which is in Raleigh, where Russell is the pastor and founder. Billy and Russell met um, several years back in Leaders Collective, and we're just so thankful to have you both here today. Russell, if you'd come up, I'd love to pray for you. Dear Heavenly Father, I just lift up Russell this morning, Lord. I thank you for the way that you have met him as he has prepared to bring your word. And Lord, I pray that you would just speak boldly through him this morning. Lord, I pray for Reconciliation Church and for the speaker there, that you would move in a mighty way. And Lord, for all of us that are listening, I pray that you would just push away any distractions and that we would hear from you and see you in a fresh way. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning, Coramdale. I need some energy, y'all. I have, first of all, I want to say I'm thankful to Billy and his wife, and they have a son and all the leaders here. Russell, I've known about Coramdale for a while. As she mentioned, Billy and I were in Leaders Collective together, and um, first time seeing Billy, this dude tatted up, sleeves on his arm and it was just different but such love exuded from Billy and from day one we connected um, and he is my brother I know I'm on a I'm about three hours away and I don't talk to him often but I'm always thinking of Billy thinking of you all here in Morganton I want to say this I am grateful we moved to the Raleigh area because we sensed God calling my wife and I to an area where we could impact the world even if we never went overseas, the rate of growth, not because we wanted to be in a big city, but we just sensed God's call there. Likewise, God calling Billy to this area. And as I'm riding in this morning, just thinking about the faithfulness of of Billy and, and you all here seeking to make much of Jesus here in Morganton. So I want you to know that my heart is full, that I get a chance to worship with brothers and sisters I've never seen, uh, ever. And again, I don't know what the Lord will do. I don't know if I will see you again, but I'm grateful for this morning that I get to be with you. My wife and I, sitting back there, um, we thank you for your hospitality and your welcome. Now, with that being said, I want to pray and I want to dive into the text. Pray with me. Father, you are the primary audience. I'm thankful for those who are here. But Lord, if you are not pleased or if you are not showing up, if you don't move by your spirit, 
this gathering is futile. And so I ask, Lord, that you would soften our hearts, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear, hearts to obey what your word says. And I ask this through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. When there are little babies in a church, thankful for the little ones that, that come, that parents bring. But inevitably, one of those children, one of those little babies are going to begin to cry. And when that happens, one of the parents will get up probably and take the baby out to try to soothe the child. Other times, they would just pull out that nice contraption that we've had for eons now called a pacifier. To stick the pacifier in the baby's mouth. Now, typically that pacifier would work in the beginning, right? Where it would soothe the baby. But then <clears throat> the baby will wise up and realizing, wait, something's not happening. And that baby will let the entire church know that there is a problem. Why? Because fundamentally, the pacifier is a lie. It is a lie because it says to the baby that you are about to receive food when indeed the baby is not receiving food. Now, while the pacifier may quiet the baby down for a few moments, as time goes by and the baby wises up, it will become clear to everyone in the room that this baby it's not being fed. My brothers and sisters here at Coram Deo, many people come to church Sunday after Sunday to be pacified. Simply to be pacified. They, they want enough to make them feel like they have gotten something out of Sunday, only to find out throughout the week that something is missing. I, what is it? And so what, what, would you, what do they do? Not, you know, again... Because we, we, we want to be a part of a church and we want to live faithfully. So that person may, I may, attend a community group or whatever you call them here at, at Coram Deo. We will attend a group throughout the week because I need more. But I'm still not getting what I long for. So I get in my car and I put on my favorite preacher, listen to a podcast, because I think if I could just hear a good sermon that it would give me what I need, but I'm still missing something. Maybe I just want to go over to one of my friend's house that I'm close to within the church and hang out and get a meal, but I'm still missing something. Friends, today I want to discuss the power of knowing God. And I want us to explore whether it is possible for us to know that God is with us. I'm not talking about here, but here. He is with us in the minutia of life, the mundane, the complexities, when things are good and then when things are not so good. Is he with me now? I know I'm talking to some very understanding and smart people, but I want you to know this. I'm talking to myself today. I'm talking to myself because I need to understand that when life is crazy, and for me, life has been all over the place. I hope somebody can testify with me. All over the place, and I need to know, God, that you are right there with me in all of this stuff. See, I think 
from me. It's easy to just look at some theological statements and jargon and say, I know that. And think that that's going to be enough. But the creeds and the jargon and all of that stuff means nothing until I say, God, meet me in this while I'm on my knees. Show up as my as I am praying for sick parents or adult children that I continue to worry about or a church that, Lord, I'm asking that you would breathe on and blow on because we need more. I need you in the midst of all of that. And not just to sit and understand a theological statement, although theological statements are good. Don't hear me say that. But my question for us this morning is, how hungry are you to know God? And this makes me think of this. uh, When my wife and I had an opportunity to travel out of the country and get into some of these areas where there's not a lot of resources, where we could be lulled to sleep, I think because we have a lot of trinkets. Right. We have so much at our fingertips. You know, we even now, even when it comes to church. Right. We, 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 we have I'm thankful for technology. Right. We could stream a service. And you know what? We, I just don't feel like it today. Has anybody been there? I'm just going to stay home and I'm going to watch a service. But when I get to some of these other places, and I've engaged some of my other brothers and sisters. They don't have this. So I need to be where God's word is going to be proclaimed and I need to be around his people and that longing for that. Not saying that things are going to get better immediately, but it's just that community, that longing to be with the people of God. And it reminds me in scripture, especially in the Old Testament, where there, the, 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 the writer or God would say to the people, if they do this, that they will be cut off. What does that mean? Either that's die or separated from, from the community. Those who were lepers had to be outside of the camp saying, unclean, don't come near me. The problem with that is isolation. That's what I'm getting at. It's being isolated from the community. See, I want to be a part of the people of God, the community of God, where God says he is in the midst. God, I want you. So again, how hungry are you to know God? Our main thought for today is this, and it's very elementary but profound. Knowing God means sharing a personal relationship with him. Knowing God means sharing a personal relationship with him. And this is amazing for me because it informs me that God want he knows me. He likes me and he loves me. I need that because I struggle with understanding or believing that God you want to be with me. A personal relationship. See consider the husband and the wife that has been married a long time, right? That husband or wife does not just know intellectual things about their spouse. No, they intimately know them like Adam knew Eve. And when he knew Eve, when Adam knew Eve, it says she gave birth to a son. The Hebrew word there is yada. It's intimate knowledge. It's relational interaction. It's a word that speaks to plumbing the depths of someone else's reality. Listen to what Isaiah says in Isaiah 43 and 10. He writes, you are my witnesses. This is the Lord's declaration. And my servant, whom I have chosen, 
so that you may know and believe and understand that I am he. No God was formed before me, and there will be none after me. The reason we are able to know God is because of the atonement. The atonement. Atonement speaks of the process by which two parties that were once alienated are now at one with each other. God and people are now reconciled to one another through the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Without his sacrificial death, salvation would be impossible. And being able to know God would be impossible. Again, I hope that you reflect on this. If Jesus didn't do what he did, if he didn't come and condescend to come to us, there is no way that we could say, God, I want you, God, I love you, and I know you. None of us have it in us to pursue God. Not one of us on this planet would even go internally from our own being and say, God, I want you. None of us would do it. He had to do something on our behalf. So as we look at these verses, I only have two things that I want to put before you. First, I want us to investigate this. To know God, we must reject worldly reasons for boasting. You see this in verse 23. To know God, we must reject worldly reasons for boasting. And finally, I want to investigate this. The dimensions of true knowledge, verse 24. So as we look at Jeremiah 9, verses 23 and 24, I want to look at life's highest aim, life's highest aim. It is not to live the American dream. It is not to make as much money as you can. Put it in the bank and leave it to your people, the people after you. But what is life's highest aim? So let's look at our first point. To know God, we must reject worldly reasons for boasting. Jeremiah writes in verse 23 again, he says, this is what the Lord says. The wise person should not boast in his wisdom. The strong should not boast in his strength. The wealthy should not boast in his wealth. Now, when you look at this chapter, chapter 9 in Jeremiah, Jeremiah is exposing the people's sin. Actually, all throughout this book, and I'm reading it currently, you see a lot of the devastation that God is saying, I'm going to bring on this nation, on this people, my people, because they have rejected me. And because you have rejected me, there will be judgment. You will be exiled from this land. Here's what I want us to understand, friends, that God does not turn a blind eye to sin. He does not. I know in our day, Maybe you don't do this, but I know where I am and what I feel often is that we can redefine what sin is to make sin more palatable in our day. Oh, that's not really sin. If you lie, uh, that's just a white lie. I don't care what color the lie is. It's still a lie. But, but, but we are redefining, right? And, and I guess giving these definitions to kind of alleviate Living in front of a holy God and the fact that because I am sinning willfully that I think that God is not going to judge. Here's the thing that I think we must understand. Like we see so much evil and so much sin in our day and we wonder, God, where are you? But we also have to understand what scripture says here. God says that I am slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and uh, in steadfast love and faithfulness. Peter writes that God is not slow concerning his promise as some count slowness, but is patient, 
not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. Right? So we, 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 we can understand that God could come right now and wipe all of us out because of sin, but he doesn't because of Jesus. And then for those who have not trusted in Jesus, God, why aren't you dealing with him? Because he's patient. He's slow to anger. He does not fly off the handle like you and I fly off the handle when we get angry. And he's desiring to call people to himself. But here in Jeremiah chapter 9, God has given years and years and years to the people of Israel and they have forsaken him. And God says, now it's time. For those of us who are parents, we know what this is like. If you grew up like I did, you knew when you messed up and your mama or your daddy kept saying, I done told you. Keep going. And because we hadn't, we didn't get that strap. Maybe y'all didn't get that strap like I got that strap. But you keep on going, and then all of a sudden, you realize you went beyond the point. There is no return. Now you are about to feel the wrath. The people of Judah are now about to be dealt with by God because they failed to obey him. But in our text, God is exhorting the people to seek something worthwhile. So in verse 23... God rejects the usual grounds for boasting. What are they? Here, wisdom, strength, and wealth. Let's look at each one. First, God tells them, he says, the wise person should not boast in his wisdom. This is like you and I bragging about how many degrees we have. Now, I don't know who, what, who the people that makes up Morganton, but I'm sure that you are very educated. But I know where I'm at, it seems like, I think, Per capita, they have more PhDs than anyone, right? So, you know, again, I've always said this, we got more degrees than a thermometer. And so people, you know, we have all the colleges and, 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 and we go to school and we get these degrees and we could attain all of that and begin to boast about, look at my accomplishments. Look at how smart I am. Look at how much money I've spent Thousands upon thousands of dollars to get this postgraduate degree. Look at all of these certifications that I have. Look at the plaques or the, the, the certifications I have on the wall. This means that I am somebody. See, we get our degrees and we begin to size one another up. I don't know about you. But I understand sitting next to someone and beginning to think, no, I'm smarter than you. Or working with someone, maybe someone got elevated above you and you believe that you should be in that position and then think, I have more education than that person. That should be me. And stomping and threatening to leave, but it's all because I feel like I have more wisdom. I have the education. But God shows us that we should not boast in our wisdom. Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In verse 18, he says, For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but it is the power of God to us who are being saved. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and I will set aside the intelligence of the intelligence. So God says, don't boast in wisdom. Next, God says, the strong should not boast in his strength or the mighty. This is a person who boasts of their power, prominence, and platform, hubris, or excessive confidence, 
is, is, is very common in our day. And I tend to think of it when I look at sports and athletes. Doesn't matter who, but you know, guys who are, or women who are at the top of their game globally, right? And they put a mic in front of them and they do great, they have a great game. And they have to sit there. It's almost like a false humility, but they're really trying to say how just how good they are, right? And and this look at me, right? We it's it's like this confidence that we must have, and it's like we have to put this out there so that people will take us seriously. But it's just not with sports. I've even seen this with preachers. I remember hearing a preacher one time say to me. I got 99 problems, but preaching ain't one. And that was about over 20 years ago, but that statement has always struck me as weird. Right? What are you saying? Right? That, that you could just get up here and preach, paint off the wall that you, that you are just so excellent at this, that, that this is your confidence, your ability to communicate. See, the Bible gives us uh, examples of people who are boasted in their strength, their ability. One such person was Goliath. I know it's easy to pick on him, but if you look at the text in 1 Samuel chapter 17, starting in verse 4, it says this. Then a champion came out from the camp of the Philistines. His name was Goliath. He was from Gath. He was close to seven feet tall. Then in verse 10, it says... Uh, Then the Philistine says, I defy Israel's troops this day. Give me a man so we can fight each other. When Saul and all the Israelites heard these words of the Philistine, they were upset and very afraid. Picture the scene. Here is a seven-foot giant compared to the Jews, a warrior. He's known as a warrior. He's defying Israel, and it's God. Send someone out to fight me. I know that I will annihilate them in essence. But we know the story. Some short dude, not with a sword or a spear, but five smooth stones. I like that. I don't even know what the smooth mean. But I could just imagine a, 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 a stone that didn't have no edges. I mean, just, just smooth. And he only had to use one. But it wasn't even about David. It was God's power with David. And took this giant down. See, he was undone. Goliath was undone because he boasted in his strength. But finally, God says in our text that the wealthy should not boast in his wealth. (laughs) This is us looking at our bank account and seeing how many zeros are there. Do you do it like I do? Just wondering, boasting about this, continuing to try to get more and more money. See, as a people, again, we, we, we can notice the uber wealthy. And we see them boasting in their wealth. And I don't know about you, but it makes me nauseous. It makes me nauseous. Like someone just flaunting their wealth in front of others, especially when I look out on the corner of my street or look at my neighborhood and I see those who are stretched out on the pavement where the pavement is their pillow or someone doesn't have food to eat or they are sleeping in their car. And yet here's this uber wealthy person boasting about all that they have attained. We can become repulsed by it. And when we look at the text, Jesus would caution people about boasting in their wealth. Jesus called this rich young ruler to come and follow him. Right? Many of us know the story. He said, come follow me. But he says to do... Sell everything that you have. 
sell it all, let it go, come be my disciple. Come follow me. And this is a call to come and change the world. By the way, I digress. We should praise God for the faithfulness of those disciples. Because without their faithfulness, you and I would not be sitting here today. We would not be here. For thousands of years, right, Jesus is calling this rich and ruler, come and be my disciple, be used. I'm going to pour into you, and you're going to pour into someone else who will pour into someone else. Uh, Siri, I'm not talking to you. And pour into someone else, and pour into someone else, ultimately until it reached down to you and I. But the rich and ruler said, I don't want to do that. The text says that he went away sorrowful because he had great wealth. See, boasting in worldly wisdom, strength, and wealth is self-righteousness. Isaiah, God says through Isaiah in Isaiah 64 and 6 concerning self-righteousness, all of us have become like something unclean and all our righteous acts are like a polluted garment. All of us wither like a leaf and our iniquities carry us away like the wind. The only perfect righteousness that exists is a righteousness that has been given to us outside of us poured into us, deposited into every believer upon salvation. This is the only righteousness that we boast about. It's not our own. The story is told of a woodpecker. And I, I know most of us have heard woodpeckers. Now, the story is told of a woodpecker that's just going to town on that tree. I don't know about you, but I've heard many woodpeckers, and I'm just like, man, somebody put that woodpecker out of his misery. I'm tired they pecking at the wrong time, waking me up or just whatever. But it's, the woodpecker's just going, 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 putting in work on that tree. Then one day a storm came. Storm came, lightning hit the tree and split it. But the woodpecker is looking at the tree, not paying attention to the lightning, and see the tree split. And the woodpecker steps back and says, oh, look at what I did. Look at my greatness. I am Mr. Big Stuff. See, the woodpecker thought he was Mr. Big Stuff until something greater showed up. This makes me think in our social media culture, it's easy to believe our own reviews. If you have Facebook, Twitter, whatever you have, and looking at your page and seeing the likes that you have, the reposts, and you can sit there and think that you are someone very important. And even in our work, that we do, the awards that we get, whatever it is that we do, we could think that we are someone great. But here's the truth. We are not able to do anything solely from ourselves. We do anything good. Who is doing it within us? Who is bringing that to pass? It's not us. It doesn't start with us. We are here and we're able to do what we do by grace alone. It is grace that we have been saved, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. It's by, if Paul would say, I, it's by, by grace I am what I am. Like, I, I, don't, I don't have the ability to do all of this great stuff, to get a, a great following. I often say this. Now, uh, as a former basketball player, I think, man, you know, and I'm not trying to say who the greatest is, even though I think that's Michael Jordan, but... You look at, you look at, talk to me, talk to me, whoever said that. Um, but you look at LeBron James, right? And his, his size and, 
and he's 6'8", and what he's been able to do, every morning he should get on his face before God and say thank you. Every morning. Jeff Bezos should get on his face. Elon Musk, get on his face and say thank you. This does not originate from me. If you take your hand away from me, all of it is gone. Instead, those who have that type of power can just wield it and beat their own chest and say, look at me. I must be someone important. I must be able to speak into things because look at all that I have. But for the believer, we know that such boasting is futile. We don't do this because we realize everything that we have comes from outside of us to us to glorify him. So we must reject worldly reasons for boasting. And finally, I want us to look at the true dimensions, uh, the dimensions of true knowledge. Jeremiah writes in verse 24, but the one who boasts should boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord, showing faithful love, justice, and righteousness on the earth. For I delight in these things. This is the Lord's declaration. God's desire is for people to know him to know him, that we could know the creator of heaven and earth, the one who said in the beginning, let there be light, that we could know him, and that this God who said, let there be light, came to earth in human form. He condescended, came here, and walked among us. The Lord Jesus is the physical representation of God because he is God. The boasting that we should do is boasting that we know the Lord. Psalm 34 and 2 says this. I will boast in the Lord. The humble will hear and be glad. What is your boasting in, friends? What do you boast in? The psalmist says, I will boast in the Lord. Not I will boast in how many kids I have. Not I will boast in how big my house is. Not how big my bank account is, but I will boast in the Lord. Instead of boasting in who we are and what we have, again, we should boast in him that we know the Lord. But what does he want us to know? What does he want want us to know about himself? The text says that we should know that he is the Lord doing what? Showing faithful love, justice, and righteousness. For he delights in these things. This is what God wanted his people to know. See, God expects that his covenant people will do these things. That's you and I. What? Show faithful love, justice, and righteousness. Now, I want to say this. When I mention justice, I don't want, to think, I don't want us to think politically at all. I want us to think the biblical grounds for justice, who God is, his throne is on the foundation of justice and righteousness. He wants his people to know that he is the one that's showing faithful love, justice, and righteousness on the earth. And Isaiah, again, he lamented that these virtues once resided in Jerusalem but became lost. He wrote in Isaiah 121, the faithful town, what an adulteress she has become. She was once 
full of righteousness, of justice. Righteousness once dwelt in her, but now murderers. This is a sad commentary on anybody. Justice once resided. Righteousness once resided, but now full of murderers. Where Adam failed, where Israel failed, Jesus embodied these totally and faithfully. And this was promised all the way back in Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 23, verses 5 to 6, where he writes, Look, the days are coming. This is the Lord's declaration. When I raise up a righteous branch for David, he will reign wisely as king and administer justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. This is the name he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Now, where Jeremiah prophesied this hundreds of years before Christ, we understand that this has been fulfilled. We are living on the other side of that. Jesus has come. He brought, he showed faithful love, justice, and righteousness, and he died on our behalf. We are able to understand this clearly because scripture tells us. I don't know how many of you like to go to movies. I don't know how long. Now we don't even have to go. We just stream it, right? And they bring it to, they bring it to us, but Back in the day when I was young, the thing to do was to go to the movies. But then they upgraded movies to where it became the 3D thing, where you had to put on the glasses, those, those, those big contraptions. But then you had this IMAX thing. But here's the thing. When you go to a movie and watch a movie, and then that movie goes to IMAX 3D, and you watch it in IMAX 3D, how do you leave that last movie? You realize that, man, there was so much I didn't even see in the movie. Why? Because the IMAX 3D brought everything out. Oh, I didn't see that. And you're sitting in your chair like me, you're moving around like you're going to get hit because it's so clear. You're seeing all of this stuff because the original format would not reveal what the, the movie creators put in. We could only see it with the IMAX 3D. And this is what God wants from us. He wants to experience him in IMAX 3D. IMAX 3D. Up close and personal. He doesn't want us just having a regular connection. He wants us to have that, that super connection where we, we see details. We, we understand things that we have not known before. We get in his word. We study. We understand that he is he's walking with us an old song I remember growing up in the church, we used to sing, he walks with me and he, he talks with me and he tells me that I am his own. Like, that, 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 there's something beautiful when someone walks up close and personal with you, when you're in that type of relationship. Like, you know some things about that person, just like in a husband and wife. I know things about my wife that I would never have known had we not been married. Because of the up-close-and-personal nature of our relationship, God wants us to have this type of relationship with him. So what are the dimensions of the true knowledge of God? I want to close with these three. The first is intellectual. It's intellectual. This is knowing the truth about God. Let me say this, friends. To know the truth about God, you must get in his word. You must get in his word. Psalm 103, 
100 verse 3 states this, acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us and we are his. His people, the sheep of his pasture. I know that we live in a digital age. You got YouTube and all of this stuff, but none of that supplements. I mean, none of that uh, uh, comes on top of or does away with his word. I'm thankful for all the technology. I promise you I am. But I need his word. This is where I'm going to know him. The second is volitional. First, intellectual. Second, volitional. This is trusting, obeying, and worshiping God in terms of that truth. Again, this is where we have to, uh, when it said the rubber meets the road, uh, we must put action behind what we say we believe because we love to just know about God here. But if it doesn't move to here where it gets into my actions, then do I really know him? It's volitional. Philippians 2 verses 12 to 13 says this. Therefore, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his good purpose. I love what he said there. As you have always obeyed. Friends, I want to ask you a question. What's the last sermon that you obeyed? Russell, what is the last sermon you obeyed? Because we come here and we get information. Right, but this is not a TED talk. This is not a motivational speech. When we come to God in his word, he expects us, he commands us to obey what he has said. Again, I ask you volitionally, What's the last sermon that you and I obeyed? The last dimension is moral. It's moral. This is practicing justice and love. I love what John writes in 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 to 8. He says, dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. This reminds me, as I prepare to close, this reminds me of one of my, and I know my wife is going to cringe here because I'm going to mention my favorite TV show, Good Times. I know I got some people in here that could go with me. There was an episode of Good Times where there was a guy who they thought had died, and, but he didn't die. Uh, he was not hit, and he came back in, and they kept lamenting Fishbone, it was like, we never told him that he, we loved him. But they said they loved him at a funeral, but he was alive. And he said, now that I'm alive, tell me you love me. Tell me you love me. And he just went around and, and everyone said, I, I love you. And I'm only mentioning that because I do feel often that there is a lack of love from the people of God for other people. See, we can love those who are like us, but what about loving those who don't look like us, right? What about loving them? What about loving those who live on the other side of the tracks? What about them? What about not believing the caricatures that we see on the news and realize that that person too is made in the image of God? And how do we love them? Jesus said, by this, they will know that you are my disciples by the love you have for one another. Love. Love. 
Love is not some goosebump stuff where I have these fuzzies. Love is action. The deacon in the church I grew up in always said it like this. Love is what love does. See, as a husband, I can't say I love my wife and there's no action with it. Likewise, as, a, as the people of God, I can't say that I love you and I don't show you that. Love, love and justice. Again, friends, true knowledge of God is intellectual. We must know the truth about God. It is also volitional. We must act on this. We must trust, obey, and worship him according to truth, and it is moral. We must put into practice what we know by practicing justice and loving one another. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I, I praise you that, that we could know you, Lord. I thank you that we can know you. And Lord, I pray that we would reject all worldly reasons for boasting. We don't boast in what we have or who we think we are. But if I boast, I, and if we boast, I pray that we will boast in you, Lord Jesus, for you are God. I pray blessings over Coram Deo, over Billy and his leadership, his, over his family, and all who are here, Lord God. Glorify your name here in Morganton through Quorum Day, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the Quorum Deo podcast. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or our website, quorumdeonc.com. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram for a bigger picture inside the life of the church. Grace and peace be with you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ.